Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. And today... um we are actually here with the panelist Keisha L. Jackson, a U.S. Air Force veteran and family caregiver. And she has as a guest Dr. Connie Siskowski, registered nurse, Ph.D., and president and founder of the American Association of Caregiving Youth. Today's discussion is going to be about the American Association of Caregiving Youth, uh, the kids, our family, caregivers, too. So the kids actually play a role. And we're going to be talking about that. How are you doing, Keisha? Well, I think you're on mute, Keisha. Okay. Uh, how are we doing, uh, Connie? I think Keisha's having a little bit of technical. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing really well and very thankful to... I have this opportunity, and thank you all for your service to our country. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but this is, you bring up a really important issue, and, I, you know, every, all of us automatically think about adults when we think about caregivers and their roles and responsibility and taking care of those people who need care in the family. But the kids play a role, too. They certainly do, and they certainly are under the radar screen. So, as you said, you, people think about adults as family caregivers, and, and even the term caregivers has multiple um, meanings. It can be somebody who's paid, somebody who's a daycare worker. Um, and so I think it's really great uh, to be sure that we reference uh, this population as family caregivers and in our particular work, caregiving youth. And I might just mention that in the very beginning, we we called our, our work uh, the Young Caregiver Project. But then, you know, young is such a subjective term that people thought we meant people in their 20s or, or even 30s, uh, never even expecting that this population is fulfilling such an important role in our country. Yeah, because my wife always says she's much younger than I am. There's only about two years separating us. <laughs> so so I to sh- shout out to her. Our anniversary is on the 6th, uh, a couple of days. So. <laughs> yeah, one of my good nursing friends that turns, she's a little older than I am, about six weeks. So I always tease her, too. <laughs> You're older than I am. <laughs> so, so how, you know, so how does this uh, relate to veterans? Well, uh, military children have a really important role in their whole family. And, you know, we are trying to focus on family-centered care. So, and, and really to normalize this experience for children. Because if, if you're caring for somebody who's been injured or somebody who's had a stroke or who has ALS or whatever health condition, the effects on the children are the same, right? Because they want to be normal, particularly, I don't know if you can remember when you were in middle school and 
you know, your body is changing, your hormones are raging, and you just you just want to be like everybody else. And so, actually, these days, you have to put on two masks, one that you wear all the time to let people think that everything's okay, and the other uh, certainly as, a, as it relates to COVID. So, um, people, I think, have are starting to recognize this population within the military. And why I, I'm saying that I wish we could be more family-focused even in the VA system is because you can have somebody who's been deployed or, or stationed somewhere and come home and their, their spouse is sick or perhaps the grandparent has moved in and has had a stroke. And so the children are still impacted and the whole family needs support in addition to the veteran. Now, I believe the Veterans Administration just recently in August has augmented their program to support family caregivers uh, in which they provide a stipend, which is great. It's, mm-hmm. it's so on the forefront and needed, uh, for, but you have to be 18 or older. But with this new legislation, uh, you're able to not only have a primary caregiver, but also a secondary, I think up to two secondaries, so that there's reimbursement for those people in in the family who, who participate in care. Because one person can't do it all. One organization can't do it all. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, and, and uh, Keisha, you know, I always had that, congratulate and thank her for her 22 years of service in the uh, Air Force, you know, as a veteran. And, uh, you know, after caregiving for her mother, um, who had stage four inoperable lung cancer, you know, Keisha started really learning about caregiving and and the resources to share with other uh, caregivers. So she's really been a champion of this. So Keisha, what what is your take on, you know, kids giving care and and how how do do you see them uh, being part of this picture? Hi, Dr. Arnold. First Hi. of all, sorry for the uh, technical difficulties. Oh, sure. Well, we've been having them mm-hmm. since uh, we had some last week because people were in Louisiana. We had people in New York and New Jersey. You know, with all the flooding and all the disasters going on, uh, it, it's just adding to the complexity of um, actually doing, you know, the broadcasting. So this is uh, absolutely understandable. <laughs> yeah. Well, this topic by far mm-hmm. is so important to me and so dear to me pretty much my entire adult life, even in my time in the military, in some fashion, I've worked with youth from uh, nurseries to juvenile detention to fostering children or helping with foster care of children um, to uh, mentoring at all different aspects, a crisis intervention hotline. And so teenage caregivers, young caregivers, um, regardless of what their age, it is something that's often overlooked is over is is um, missed out. I think now the statistic is there's like three point five, three point four, or either five point four million children that are estimated to be caregiving for one or more family member. Uh, and so this is very important because now they're not able to be as active in school. They may be missing out on sports, um, their social life. They're developing more stress. So this is a very, very important topic. So what I'm hoping through America's Heroes Group and those that are listening is that we really can uh, rally uh, Dr. Connie for what she's doing, her initiative, Mm -hmm. her effort, help get the word out, and also be sensitive to the youth that are out there caring for their loved ones. 
Yeah, because, you know, one of the things, uh, uh, Dr. Connie, that you were mentioning, um, you, you were talking about the roles people are playing as youth and all that, but, I, you know, I understand that, you know, you, you know, really you brought national recognition to the fact that children and adolescents in the United States, you know, are really playing a dual role, you know, both as students and caregivers uh, for chronically ill, frail, and disabled family members. So, you know, one of the things that you don't often think about uh, because uh, we do have single parents out there who are sometimes uh, sort of run the gauntlet uh, because they have, uh, you know, to take care of children and make sure they show up on uh, work, you know, work on time. And it's very, very complex for how they have to deal with that uh, kind of thing. My, uh, actually, I grew up with a single mom, so I, I'm very, she was a social worker. So she had to, you know, really be in eight different worlds at the same time. But these students, and as caregivers, they should not be penalized, right, uh, because they are trying to take care of uh, family members uh, where we don't really have an adequate mechanism in society right now to, to supply uh, that kind of caregiving. Well, and that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, it's a big issue. But in the U.K., they have been supporting this population since the early 1990s. Mm. And it was when I went to the first international conference on family caregiving in London in 1998 that I really learned about what they call young carers there. And I took care of my grandfather when I was in middle school, and it really impacted my life as an adult, not professionally but personally. And so this work is really about you know, trying to support the children, recognize them, help them, help them achieve academically and personally, uh, and, you know, have society value them as well as initiate legislation on their behalf. And this is really important because uh, essentially all of the, the support for family caregivers, you have to be 18 or older because the initial uh, bill was under the Older Americans Act, and, and it's been, you know, re-authorized re, um, and increased in funding every year since then. But, again, you have to be 18 or caring for someone who's older. And I think it's time that we get rid of, of age discriminators. In a way, this is reverse age discrimination against the children. And if we don't, you know, if we don't recognize and support them, if they don't finish high school, then, you know, there's likely to be more teen pregnancy, more disease, more crime, and more ultimate system dependency. Yeah, you know, uh, you know oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Keisha. No, go ahead. I was just going to oh. say, so it's a great investment. Why would people not want to? Dr. Arnold, I wanted to just mention, you know, under 18, these children are, they're, they're administering medicine, they're transporting pills from, you know, bottles to the person that they're caring for, they're um, dispensing insulin, they're doing a lot of different things. I mean, feeding, bathing, showering, they're just doing a, a lot of work, and then in, on top of that, they're doing that, but then they have their schoolwork, they have those activities that they're trying to balance as well, so it's definitely a lot that they're balancing. Yeah, you know, when I was in high school, the way I started my uh, medical career, I, I was in high school. I actually um, went to a hospital and volunteered, right? And I did about 2,000 hours. And 
that most of my time was actually spent in an extended care facility, which would be equivalent to like a nursing home, a long-term care facility kind of setting. And when I went there, I learned so much from the seniors who were there. I mean, it was such an enriching experience for me. And uh, there was such a, such a positive dynamic that I uh, developed with the people there, learned so much about life from them and what was important and how they viewed life and the history and what they did when they were growing up and what they experienced, their stories. And uh, this is also very organic and very germane to family uh, cohesion and how uh, we relate to people who are loved ones in our family and to help them through a time when they are ill or they are facing, um, you know, a really devastating disease process is something I, I, I could imagine that that is really uh, incredibly important, that that bond or those those times that you're with that person are also extremely valuable. And that's what our society is supposed to be about, you know. Um, and, and that's the right kind of uh, organic, the kind of people we want to have, people who have compassion, people who are actually willing to help other people. And, you know, to go against that, this seems to be insane to me. It doesn't make sense. Well, there's a, a lot that doesn't make sense right now. But you're so right. And, you know, there's a national effort to teach children empathy. And with our kids, you don't have to teach them empathy. And uh, And like you said, you know, that relationship when you're taking care of someone is unique. It's it, it's deepening. It's enriching. And um, the children learn life skills. And with support, they just do so well. But they need help. You know, they it's if they don't have support, they can feel frustrated. We had one girl who was so frustrated. Her mom had uh, been disabled after being hit by a drunk driver. And and she was so frustrated she hit her mom. And so can you imagine being a mom and being hit by your child and having to call 911 because you're scared and you don't know what else to do? So we were able to work with juvenile justice and and support this child and support this family so that they, you know, became whole and looked at this experience in a different way. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's critical. I mean, uh, to stabilize those frustrations and, you know, people are really under a lot of pressures. It's like you were mentioning before, I, I can imagine this is going on even to a greater extent now with uh, COVID-19 uh, with people. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, and, and as people started looking at the disparities um, because of COVID and who was getting sick, the whole focus was on the patient. You know, there wasn't thought about what's happening in the family, much less the children. And and so during COVID and schools being closed, the extent of caregiving for our kids increased. And we one of the things we do is provide respite, but families were afraid to have someone from the outside come in. So often that was delayed. So they didn't have the extra support. And when it was when the schools started to reopen, you know, when it, when you feel vulnerable and you've been isolated and you're anxious and you're afraid, it's just really hard to, you know, ask your kids to go back to school, even if you know that that's best for them. 
You know, this is so, so critically important, uh, Dr. Connie. Maybe if, if there's a uh, – do you have a website that people can go to? I'm, I'm actually asking now because we have a few more minutes to go, but I wanted to at least have you state that a couple of times, or where should people turn to uh, find sure, out more? Sure, yeah. Our, our website is aacy.org. AACY.org. American Association of Care for the Youth, aacy.org. Oh, you made that easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if things don't have to be this way and they don't have to be this hard. <laughs> uh, you simplified a and lot I of bet you anything, yeah. you know, in your medical education, did you learn about family caregiving? Well, no. I mean, actually, that is something that is not even um, mentioned or talked about. And I think even when we start talking about it wasn't until maybe um, I think the 80s, you know, uh, or early 90s where people really started talking about even discharge planning, you know, adequate discharge planning, um, you know, from a hospital. Uh, and even then, there's still, lap, you know, lapses and la- there, there are lacks of, you know, there's a lack of connections about, you know, what types of services does someone need when they get uh, back into the home environment? Are the right questions being asked? And, and there's more of a thing about, you know, discharge planning. But uh, as far as, you know, family engagement, uh, family services, no, uh, that, that is not part of the medical education right now. And so we're trying to change that. <laughs> yes. But working with uh, University of Miami Miller School of Medicine and Florida Atlantic University here in South Florida, as well as with um, the School of Nursing to uh, make sure that family caregiving and caregiving youth are included in the curriculum, it also needs to be among educators because if they don't understand and, you know, take a look at what else this student is doing uh, to look at supporting them, if they're late for class rather than punishing them, it, it just makes a world of difference. It's about caring and understanding. Yeah, it sounds like there needs to be some kind of educational uh, platform or something where the schools um, recognize this as being an issue, um, you know, maybe through uh, the guidance department. I'm not sure of who or the administrator. You know, the start, everything goes to the top, right? So the uh, principal of the school or uh, the dean or wh- uh, whoever's the authoritative figure in the school needs to have uh, a plan, just like we have Family Medical Leave Act, right? <laughs> we need to have something uh, in place so that, um, as um, as some someone who is actually going to school has something to uh, refer back to as an administrator that says these are the things that you need to consider if you have a student that has someone who's uh, critically ill or sick. Right. And we did begin the Caregiving Youth Institute, and we have to postpone our in-person conference that we were going to have. That would be our fourth one this November, and uh, right now we're scheduling it for April 21st. April 21st. Okay, and where's that going to be? Is it online? Or? It's going to be in Boca Raton. Oh, Boca Raton. I may go there myself. <laughs> yeah, come on. I'd love to meet you. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just so important for people in healthcare education and the community to learn about this population and learn how to support them and learn firsthand what the kids are going through. And, and like I said before, it doesn't have to be this way. Supporting them in school, out of school, and providing activities uh, gives them a, a whole new attitude 
And we want, we need people to go into healthcare in the future as our population is aging and there's more complex care at home. So what better population than, than these children to do that? Right. And it's also, it's a social responsibility for all of us, right? So if we see kids struggling with this, uh, we should try to, you know, in any way we can, you know, help to give them some assistance, uh, especially if you're a teacher or someone who, you know, is more, um, you know, you know, directly connected to their lives uh, that uh, is recognizing that something is wrong here, something is going on where the person has, um, you know, you know, is trying their hardest to do uh, fill, fulfill two different roles, which are both can be very, very demanding. And um, but I, I love your website, aacy.org. I think that's the e- that's the easiest one I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you know the song like YMCA, just think about AACY, right? <laughs> oh, that's it. You just started a new trend, a new fad. We have to, we have to get a song going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, okay, so I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the youth out there and people who are caregivers. And uh, I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, Keisha L. Jackson. You know, uh, you are, uh, you know, a partner, family caregiver, uh, Keisha L. Jackson. And we are globally connected, Military Families Matters. Uh, so we want to make sure that everyone stays on the line, stays on the line. We will be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.